evening, Louise. Good evening, Caroline. Good evening, and welcome to another episode of The Wife Who, the podcast where we talk about women that we kind of find interesting. We accept any women from any time in history, any country in the world. Um, we just are interested in learning loads of stuff that we didn't know about women in history. Does that about sum it up, Lou? It does. It feels like it's been a while since we've spoken. Yeah, actually, because, um, yeah, you weren't feeling too great last week, so we... We delayed our we podcast, didn't we? Mm-hmm. I had a yeah, a dodgy neck. Yeah. Who, who else out there in lockdown has had you know dodgy problems that they can't fix because of lockdown? Yeah, I reckon. I mean, it was only about a week into lockdown when I totally did my back in, didn't I? I had to have like a week off work. I was quite ashamed. I felt you like a did. ninety-year-old woman, but I was really laid up. I think it's just too much uh, laptop and phone usage and not getting out and doing the normal stuff. Right, and I hate to say it, but Joe Wicks, um, you know, a lot of the a lot of uh, Brits have been doing PE with Joe, and my osteopath says there's been a lot of injuries. Ooh, is that We're just not up to Joe's fitness? Well, maybe people just aren't warming up properly. You know, I'm saying that, and I literally never exercise. <laughs> I really am not qualified for this at all. <laughs> well, I hope your neck totally heals soon. Um, it sucks that we weren't able to record last week, but I would definitely prefer that you look after yourself and everyone else out there too. Take it easy on that laptop stuff and phones, yeah? Yeah. I'm kind of keen to get into this one because I think she's a really interesting woman and... I did I did some research. I even read a book by this woman as well. Um so wow, I know that's that's something for you. It really is, right? I've, I'm quite quite proud of myself, but on the other hand, it was only like an 80-page book or something. <laughs> so, uh, uh like a brochure. <laughs> almost. Yeah, it will make more sense when I start to tell you about her. Are you ready? I am. Okay, so Hit me up. you might have actually heard of this one. Tonight, I'm going to be telling you the story of Nellie Bly. Oh, that's a really familiar name. Is she American? Yes, she is American. You have heard of her. Um, anything else that you're associating with the name? Oh, like I feel like she's got some kind of highway woman status. Oh, nice. Right? I like that. But no, you're way off. I'll, I'll get right into it. It's really cool, though. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. We should... Can we find oh, let's, a, yeah. a, a highway woman? Yeah, guys, write in. Tell us about highway women. That's such a cool job, <laughs> right? I would love to be a highway woman. Okay. So Nellie Bly was a journalist, an adventurer, an inventor, a charity worker, and she was the wife who invented investigative journalism, amongst other cool stuff she did. So are you ready? Wow. This is, that's a big achievement. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) Okay. So, I mean, she is actually pretty internationally famous, to be honest, Um, when I mentioned it. So once again, we are demonstrating that we are very ignorant. Yeah, frankly. um, (laughs) I I think this is going to be a permanent theme. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But uh, it's good. It's really interesting how much... um, I just didn't know. But then on the other hand, we might have heard of some of these women, but then not actually known anything about their lives. And actually, the more and more research that I'm doing, I was just telling you before, wasn't I, how I'm listening to um, that book called Bloody Brilliant Women by Kathy Newman. Um, And the more that I listen to and not read these sort of books, um, I'm discovering that I've heard of them and I think I know about these women, but actually their lives... We really don't know what they were like and what drove them. And a lot of the things these people did, they become these almost caricatures of themselves through time. Mm-hmm. So 
yeah, this is, she's an interesting one, Nellie Bly. I hope you enjoy her. So, yeah, she's pretty famous. When I said to Chris I was doing her, he was like, oh, yeah, and he reeled off, like, the three things she's famous for, and I was like, oh, okay, right, you know, but, you know. <laughs> oh, Chris. God bless Chris. He knows everything anyway. So there are a ton of well-known novels and films and all sorts of things about her, even from the last 10 years, so... It's definitely time for us to know about her. We really have no excuse then to to not know a whole deal about this woman. (laughs) Yeah, but we're going to rectify it right now. So Nellie was born in 1864 in Pennsylvania in the US, okay? So she and her, so her father was actually, he was an Irishman. He was born to Irish immigrants coming from Londonderry. They came to the US in like the 1790s and he was just like a regular local mill worker but somehow he managed to make enough money doing that to eventually buy a bit of land and become a mill owner himself and actually eventually the town around based around this mill was named after him and his surname was Cochrane she was born Nellie Cochrane and they lived in Cochrane's Mills which is the name of the town in Pennsylvania so a pretty good start mm. to life actually and he, this this Cochrane guy, he had two wives and an astonishing 15 children. Yeah, of which... Did he have his wives concurrently or was there one and then the other? There was one and then the other, to be fair to the guy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, it wasn't a Mormon type relationship. Not though. as far as I know. No, I think the first one died probably in childbirth, guys. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't have a note probably. on that. Um, 15 children. Can you imagine? I mean, you've got two and was that's it a enough, fair right? Split? Like eight and seven or? No, I think it was, yeah, it was 10 to the first wife and then five to the second wife. And Nellie, who was born Elizabeth and later became known as Nellie, she was born of one of the five to the second wife. So she had a lot of older siblings. Yeah. And and half, half sisters and brothers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Loads. Um, mm-hmm. So she she had a pretty decent middle class upbringing, you can imagine. But she was only six when her dad dies and mum, poor mum, is left with the children. Now, I don't know exactly what the family circumstances were, but a, a couple of different articles that I read, some said there was no will left. So they, the woman, the wife and the children had no claim on the estate. Some said that the estate was theirs but it was split between the 15 children which meant there was hardly anything really left because that's a lot of ways to split it um yeah i don't know exactly what happened but they must have been okay for a bit because in 1879 nelly goes to teaching college which is good right how old is she she's she like 18 yeah at this point? yeah i think she's 18 okay. let's just double check and that's 1859. Uh, let's check. So she was born in 1864 and this was in 1879. Oh, so she's only 15, 16. Oh, mm-hmm. So it's kind of the time of the French Revolution and the, uh, what was the movement called? Um, Enlightenment. Is that what you're thinking of? Enlightenment, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess being a, a mill factory, a, a mill owner's daughter in Pennsylvania, she probably felt kind of removed from all that sort of thing. Yeah. But she's educated, so she's aware of what's going on in the world as well. But after one term of teaching college, she's got to drop out because they've run out of money. So I don't know what's gone on here, but basically she and her mum 
moved to Pittsburgh. And I, I think, right, reading into that, reading between the lines, something's happened. Mum has somehow used up all the last of dad's cash or, and they're not bringing in any money. And I think they're moving away to probably avoid local scandal, right? Because the whole town's named after them. I mean, this has got to be embarrassing, yeah. right? Yeah, it's like they have to flee. Yeah, it kind of feels that way to me, although I have no real basis for saying that, to be honest. Um, this is just conjecture. Yeah, it really is. Okay, so they're living in Pittsburgh, right? And this is where Nellie first starts to... We we see a bit of her feisty, independent character, which we all appreciate mm. in a girl, right? And we do. So a local Pittsburgh newspaper publishes this article, right, called What Girls Are Good For? Ooh, yeah, ouch. yeah, already just that title, right? I was like, oh, <laughs> this is not going to be good. It, it... Can you tell me some of the things that the article says? Yes. So it says, right, that girls are mainly there just to give birth and to be housekeepers. And that the idea of a working woman was, quote, a monstrosity. Unseemly. <laughs> yeah. So, Nelly, you'll be Ooh, pleased to hear. I bet that's, that's not a message that we'll have heard very often in, the, in history. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I'll just, yeah, it's too funny, really. Um, yeah. But, but you're right. This is the age of enlightenment. There's stuff going on over the other side of the world. And presumably, you know, your thinking woman is aware of this. And Nelly, our Nelly, she's the right age to go, no. I'm not having this, actually. She stands up to it and she writes this passionate response to the newspaper under the pseudonym Lonely Orphan Girl. And, and how old is she when she's writing this, 16? I, no, I think she's maybe 17, 18 at this point. I'm not completely sure. But yeah, she's still young. She's still a teenager, I think. Wow. So <laughs> the editor of the paper is actually quite impressed by this and as you would be. Yeah, but she's written it anonymously. So what he has to do is run an advert in his paper asking that the writer of this letter identify herself. Lonely orphan girl, come and contact me. I think that's kind of cool, right? <laughs> Make yourself known. Yeah, exactly. So she does. And he offers her the chance to write a proper article for the paper under the same pseudonym. It's really cool, I thought, actually. And what do you know what she wrote? Yeah, she... She writes this article called The Girl Puzzle about divorce. I mean, which for a young woman is like quite a, a big topic, but she obviously cared about women's rights really early on. And it was about how divorce affects women. And it was passionately calling for the reform of divorce laws at the time. And the editor is actually really impressed again. And he offers her a full-time job, which she really needed actually at the time. She needed this work for, mm -hmm. to support her mum. Now, in the Wikipedia article that obviously I read and based much of this on, um, it says, and I quote, it was customary for women who were newspaper writers at that time to use pen names. The editor chose Nellie Bly after the African-American title character in the popular song Nellie Bly by Stephen Foster. Mm. I, I found that kind of interesting. I mean, first of all, right. Why does she need a pen name? Like, is this specific to women? Like, did men have pen names? Why did women have to have pen names? Uh, yeah, they had to protect their identity, didn't they? Or I try guess. and give the impression that they were male. Yeah, I mean... And yet, Nelly is a male name as well? I don't know, actually. I think the song was about a woman. Um, but, I mean, what, was it still considered shameful for women to write in newspapers at this point, do you think? Is that why? I guess so. 
Um, but then for the for the editor to choose the name for her, that annoyed me. <laughs> like, why didn't she? I, I don't know. She should be allowed to choose it herself. But really interesting that she that they chose her an African American name. I thought so too. I I really don't know why. Um, like that's quite progressive, isn't it? Well, is it? I mean, I don't. What I should have done, of course, is actually looked up the song itself um, to see what it's about because it would be very different if this was a song about I don't know a prostitute <laughs> compared to if it was about uh you know slavery abolitionist rights woman or man um as the title you know it's what is this song about i should definitely have looked yeah. this up <laughs> anyway so nelly bly that's what they name her and she seems to be cool with it because she goes on and she keeps this name for the rest of her life actually so she can't have been that annoyed and I feel like she would have stood up and said I guess if she was but it's just if it was me there is no way I would have let a strange man choose my pen name for me like when I was like nine years old and I wanted to be an author like that's what I wanted to be when I grew up um I knew exactly what my pseudonym was going to be I ha- I still know now of course what it you would did be. <laughs> there's no way she would you had it you had it all mapped out <laughs> and I'm surprised that Nelly anyway this is definitely a massive what the, digression. Wait, what was Nellie's name before Nellie? It was, she was Elizabeth Cochran. That's it, Elizabeth Cochran. Yeah. Okay. Which is a fine name. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, we should move on because I got too upset about this, proportionately speaking. So Nellie Bly, they spelled it slightly differently to the song just because it was a typo basically. But other than that, that's where it came from. So it's now 1885 and she continues to write for this art, this newspaper articles about the lives of women, including a series of articles about women factory workers um, and conditions in the factory and negative conditions at that. And the paper actually starts to get complaints from the factory owners about what she's writing, presumably because it makes them look so bad. It's like an expose. Yes, exactly. But because of this, she gets reassigned to the women's pages to cover fashion, society, gardening. So she's not happy about this. She doesn't want to write about- She has ruffled feathers. Yeah, she has. And she does not want to write about sewing and music. (laughs) So- That apparently is what most female journalists were expected to do, was to write these women's pages about fashion and stuff. Um, And cooking. Cooking, blatantly, yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) She's not happy. So what's the response of our spirited, at this point, 21-year-old Nelly? Well, obviously... She moves to Mexico, right? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> wow, okay, that came out of nowhere. But she decides she's going to be a foreign correspondent there. And she spends six months reporting back to this Pittsburgh newspaper about the lives and the customs of the Mexican people. Like, wow. I mean, that's. I wonder why she chose Mexico. I don't know. I, I guess. Well, there was quite a bit of interesting sort of political stuff going on there at the time, I think. Um, I don't know much about Mexican history, admittedly, but um, she she condemns. So, so she creates this book. Well, she writes all these reports and articles back to the newspaper, and then it eventually gets published later as a book, all the combination of articles, called Six Months in Mexico, where she publishes all these anecdotes, including... There's this interesting narcotic over here called marijuana, for example. <laughs> She's having a lovely time. And, uh, but she protests the imprisonment of a local journalist there who criticised the Mexican dictator, dictatorship government. 
of the time. And when the authorities there learn about how she's written to her home newspaper condemning them, they threaten her with arrest and she has to flee home. So it's there's kind of interesting stuff going on over there and she's writing kind of political stuff. Um, but one adventure, age 21, right? Yeah, and it feels like wherever Nellie goes, she's ruffling feathers. Definitely. I like this girl. Yeah, me too. So... Naturally, once she gets home, she carries on criticising this Mexican dictatorship. Um, but she gets put back on the boring arts and theatre type work in the newspaper. So oh, boring. boring. Especially after her life in Mexico where she's clearly been smoking marijuana as well. Right. So clearly she is not going to accept this lying down. So she sacks off this newspaper altogether and she decides, screw it, I'm moving to New York City. And she does. She just goes there. She's no job. She has no plans. She just goes there. And in fact, what I, this is a great anecdote. When she quit, she left a note for her editor that just said, I'm off for New York. Look out for me. Bly. <laughs> what an adventure. I love it. Where did she get all this self-belief and this confidence from? I don't know. I, I Yeah, it's interesting. She's just so determined. Um Mm, she is very independent impressive at this age at that time so she goes to new york and after four months she still hasn't found any work because she wants to be a writer and writing work is hard to get into for women even then and she has no money at all so she decides to force her way into the office of this newspaper called the new york world so i'm gonna hiccup hold on there we go <laughs> um <laughs> So she forces her way into this newspaper called The New York World. And this is actually Joseph Pulitzer's newspaper. You've heard of the Pulitzer Prize, right? So yep. really famous, massive newspaper. She forces her way in and they're like, oh, okay, well, how about this? We'll give you a job if you decide to agree to go undercover for us. We want you to pretend that you are insane and go live in a lunatic asylum for a bit. Oh my goodness. And then come back and tell us what it's like and write for the newspaper. So she does. But people can go mad trying to do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Like what a, that, you know, I'd be terrified because it's right. So at this point it's 1887. And by now Bedlam from London, of course, is super famous, right? You know, everyone's heard of Bedlam. It's this horrible uh -huh. mental asylum where nasty things happen to people in straight jackets and like rooms with padded walls, electric shock treatment and lobotomies. And once you get in, you can never get out. And yeah. Right. So horror stories abound. Um, and like I, I would not be keen on this, but she just wants to be a writer. And I don't know whether she's a little naive or whether she has a sense of adventure, but she totally agrees. And so she figures... How long does she spend in there? 10 days she goes for. So it's not that long in the scheme of things. But on the other hand, it must, it felt quite long <laughs> at the time. Yeah, I bet. 10, 10 days too long. Yeah, exactly. So there's this part of New York. It's like... um a long thin strip island in Manhattan and there's this women's lunatic asylum so it's women only um on this island called Blackwell's Island which is now called Roosevelt Island and it had a reputation at the time for brutality and neglect and like all of this like horrible stuff so well in keeping with the horror stories of Bedlam and so on uh -huh. and this is where they want her to go now yeah so the first question is how could she 
get there? Like, how do you how do you pretend you're insane enough to get committed? I mean, what would you do at that point? How would you how would you pretend to be mad enough to get committed back then? Well, from the books we've read, uh, I guess it helps if you're married so that you can behave um, a little bit off the wall with a husband Uh who does the work of committing you. If you're single, uh, you you need to be around people, surely, who can like testify to your madness. Yes. Maybe you would ask someone to vouch for you that you're a little bit mad at the moment. Yes. And have that person refer you for madness. Yes. So she, so I read her book. This is the book that I read. And it was a series of newspaper articles that she wrote after she'd had this experience, which were later turned into this book. And she says in this book how she, she couldn't decide whether to go to her friends and have them essentially implicate themselves in this plot that she was doing or whether to go to some strangers and genuinely act nuts. Now, being the adventurous Nellie Bly, who's determined and an adventurer, which of those two options do you think she she took? Well, I would have gone with the former. Yeah. But I bet she went with the latter. Yes, she does. So she checks into a women's boarding house, right? So she she dresses herself appropriately. She checks into a women's boarding house. She deprives herself of sleep all night so that she looks a bit like wide-eyed and nutso. And then she goes around accusing everybody in the boarding house of being nuts. Not her, but like, you're nuts. I'm not staying. I'm not sleeping right. here because you're all nuts. She refuses to go to bed. And there's this woman trying to like, go to sleep, dear. And she's like, no, no, everybody's crazy. Just like behaving nuts. And she eventually freaks out the other women in this boarding house so much that the police get called. Very clever. Very clever. She did a pretty convincing job um, because she then gets examined by a police officer, um, a judge and a doctor. I think two doctors actually. And they all go, yeah, she's nuts. So what she does, she like pretends that she's forgotten where she's from like she's lost her memory and all she's she's trying where's my trunk I'm looking for my luggage where is it where is it she's like at one point she stood inside the courthouse with the judge talking to her and she's like I don't know why I'm here I just want my trunk I thought this man was going to help me get my trunk and she just repeats herself so see that is very clever because all she has to do is recollect her memory and she's not mad anymore right that's her get out clause yeah although the newspaper have promised that they'll come and get her which, okay, yeah, I, I think I would need to know that before I went in as well. <laughs> Her time in this place is crazy, right? I mean, well, <laughs> you know, no pun intended, but there you go. So they are given this like inedible food. It's like um, rock hard bread that's got spiders in it. Um, oh, yeah, no. just totally. Dis- that would send you crazy. That in itself would, right? And they, they said, she said it, you just couldn't eat it. And there were women in there that didn't oh. have good teeth and they literally just couldn't eat. Um, they had freezing cold bath. So they'd be dragged and plunged into an ice cold bath and pulled out and oh. they'd be soaped. So they'd be stripped naked in front of everyone. You'd have um, soap uh scrubbed all over not only your body but also your hair um and then you'd be pulled out of the the cold freezing cold bath and put into like a sack dress and then put in bed 
and you're st- you're soaking wet. You're soaking wet with freezing cold um, and water. And freezing cold and wet hair. Yeah, wet, and you go. You have to go to bed and there's drafts. It's freezing cold in this place. There's no heating. You're going to wake up with a neck like mine. Uh, yeah. That's what's going to happen. At best, if not die of pneumonia the next week, um, mm. which people did. And also, you weren't allowed to sleep. So because they're these nurse, not nurses, what do you call it, like matron prison guard type women at the asylum who are every half hour knocking and banging and shouting, are you awake? You know, Um <laughs> But that adds to your madness. Yes, exactly. And this is, so she wrote these articles saying, um, show me any sane woman that would not go insane after a week in this place. Um, I mean, obviously she didn't, I guess, but a lot of people were there. And this is, I mean, she was outraged. There were so many women there who really weren't mad. And she could tell they weren't mad, but they couldn't get out because once they were in, there was no way to vindicate themselves. The doctors kept looking at them and going, no, I still think you're a bit mad. And they'd be like, but I'm fine. They'd probably been sectioned by a husband that just didn't want them around anymore. That's exactly the case for at least one of them um, that she met. She talked to them all and she found out all their life stories and she reported. And the worst thing about all this was the beatings. So these matron nurse women that were looking after the place they would beat these women so bad that they broke their ribs, they choked them and left marks on their necks and they caused permanent damage to people's like lungs and stuff. And the doctors in charge of this place, they didn't know about any of this because they had like one of these matrons would keep a lookout and when the doctors were coming, they'd like beat everybody quickly like, don't you tell the doctors what we've been doing to you. So none of this came out until she went and did it and told everyone afterwards. She did her expose. Yes, she did. Um, And so after 10 days, the newspaper get her release. She publishes this report and it causes an amazing sensation. Everyone is outraged and, you know, on these poor women's behalf, they want reform. Um, And there's a grand jury investigation and the, um, the judge comes with her and they do a visit to this, this asylum. But of course, while she's been away, all the people have completely reformed the place. You know, it's been like two weeks and suddenly she comes back and, oh, look at all this lovely food on the table, all fresh fruit and look how everybody's nicely clothed and, uh, you know, it's all warm suddenly. And mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. interesting. That sounds like when uh, Ofsted are on their way <laughs> into school. So much. <laughs> that never happens. Pull their socks The up. schools are always brilliant all the time. <laughs> yeah, so um, they believe her and... It results in the city giving a million dollars of additional funding to these state Whoa, asylum. Back then, yeah, that it's was massive, an insane amount yeah, of money. It was really something. So she she genuinely, personally affected the livelihood, not the livelihood, that you know, the lives of these women um, yeah. and and how we looked after them. So there were sweeping improvements, um, but also. This also creates a chain reaction of undercover detective style journalism for about a decade because this hadn't been done before. And this is this was a whole precursor to what we call investigative journalism. Now, she invented that by doing this. So it like whetted the appetite for this kind of expose. Massively. And in fact, it created a new wave of journalism at the end of the 19th century. Joseph Pulitzer was really the one who pioneered this because, of course, he suggested it. Um, but he had these women, and, and there were other papers, had women who they called stunt girls who would go and do this sort of undercover detective work on behalf of these newspapers and then write about it. Right. 
And actually, you know what, this was kind of cool for women in general, because it showed that women had not only the writing skills needed to write articles for major newspapers, but also these amazing like acting and detective skills. It's really cool, you know. Mm. And that there's a place for them to be able to, in a way that a man might have appeared, you know, out of... Um the ordinary in a place yeah. a woman can maybe go and blend in a bit more and yeah not be suspected i think so i think that's why you had these this idea of the stunt girl because they could just slip in um yeah. into these places be ignored so the pulitzer prize is awarded to investigative journalism right yeah i believe so mm-hmm. so really it should be called the nelly prize shouldn't <laughs> it? yeah to an extent i mean she was the first but i guess pulitzer did kind of pioneer the idea of it <laughs> Um, But, I mean, she carried on. So after this, she follows it up with investigations and exposés on sweatshops, baby buying, jails and corruption in law. And she interviews a bunch of people, including um, the presidential candidate for the Women's Suffrage Party and Buffalo Bill and the wives of three presidents. So, you know, she's famous. She's like, she's the most famous female journalist in the world at this point. She is super famous. Okay. She might be one of the only, because well, we know yeah. probably back then it was hard to be given a paid position for a newspaper. It's true, but as a woman, you have got these stunt girls that are writing. Remember now as well. That's like it's it's mm. created a whole trend. But what she does next makes her twice as famous as she is. So, and this might be what you've heard of her for. Actually, is this next thing? She has this amazing adventure and she's the first person to do this thing as well. And it just kind of makes me so proud that it was a woman as well. So do you remember how I told you in a previous episode about uh, Jean Barré, who was the first woman to circumnavigate the globe? Yes, yeah? by ship, right? Yeah, exactly. She's the first woman, yeah. but she dressed as a man, to, you know, in order yes. to do it. Well, uh-huh. Nellie Bly was the first person in the world ever to travel around the world in 80 days how cool is that so was she she was the first person ever yeah so you've heard of the phileas fogg story by jules verne right around the world in 80 days Uh well that had been published in 1873 and it's now 1888 but nobody had actually achieved this theoretical fictional traveling around the world in 80 days so she suggests to her editor in 1888 i think i can do this and they're like okay so off she goes right and it was her that did that for the very first time yes yes it was so i know so she's already done something really amazing by creating essentially investigative journalism and now she travels around the world in 80 days for the first time she did this i know so With two days notice, she sets off on a steamer with just the clothes on her back, a couple of underwear changes, some basic toiletries and a wad of cash tied around her neck. That's it. Just her on her own, what she's got on her person, right? To be fair, because she's already quite famous, the newspaper make a massive fuss about this. I mean, you can imagine there's posters, there's this like great promotional photograph of her. um, And in 1890, they even made a board game about her... Um, Nellie Bly's round the world in 80 days thing. Amazing. Uh, remind me which newspaper it was again that she was writing The World, for. the New York World. The New York World. Okay. Yeah, but the rival newspaper, the name of which I didn't make a note of, um, they are like, whoa, we, we can't let this woman get away with this. So as soon as she sets off and they announce it, the competitor newspaper decide they're going to sponsor their own female reporter 
um, to do it at the same time and try to beat Nelly. Now, you can imagine how exciting this must have been, right? Yeah. You've got these two women trying to go around the world in 80 days. I love that they sent a woman as well because it could have been so easy to say, you know what, let's send a man and we'll show that men can do it faster than a woman. Yeah, it, yeah, actually, I'm so glad they didn't do that because it really wasn't about that at all. And they set them off in opposite directions to each other as well. So mm. it was all really interesting. Now, Nelly didn't even know because she'd already set off. She didn't even find out that she had competition until she was more than halfway around. Wow. But when they did find her and tell her this, she was like, I don't care. You know, anyone can do this if they want to. I just wanted to see if I could do it. And they're very welcome to it, which, yeah, oh, fair play. She is so like all inclusive. Yeah, like, well done. It, it's not about the winning. It's the taking part. Yeah. Ooh. Sorry, little wine break there. So she travels through England, France, the Suez Canal, Ceylon, Singapore, Hong Kong, and Japan. She travels almost entirely alone by steamship, trains, horses, rickshaws, sampans. Um, she even... Fearless. Absolutely fearless. Yeah, right? Uh, no chaperone. Amazing. Um, she visits a leper colony at one point in China and in Singapore. I love this. She buys a monkey. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> but she isn't quite on schedule. It's all very tense. You know, the newspaper, the people are like placing bets on who's going to make it. It's like this huge sort of campaign happening back in New York. Um, and because there was some rough weather on her Pacific crossing on the way home, she arrives in San Francisco two days behind schedule. But the newspaper owner Pulitzer charters a private train to bring her home because he is so determined that she's going to be the first one. It's our newspaper, goddammit. Um, and she arrives home in 72 days, creating a world record. So less than 80 days. Yes. And her arrival arrives four or five days later. So just wow. under the 80 days. Yeah. How cool is that? <laughs> ah, that's brilliant. I know. So good. And then she goes on a lecture tour um, to talk about her experience, including a trip to France where she interviews Jules Verne himself, who, of course, wrote 80 Days Around the World. So... Yeah. I want Nelly's life. I wish I'd been Nelly. <laughs> oh, I know. How exciting. But really scary, right? I mean, there must have been some times in, you know, non-English speaking countries, the other side of the world, she must have felt like, you know, alone some of this time. So did she, has she written an autobiography about all of this? She, yeah, she wrote a book. So she wrote all these uh, articles, which then got turned into a book that um, sold really well. And in fact, she had hundreds of people writing to her asking for more editions of this book I believe so it it really right. sold very well possibly not as well as the 10 days in a madhouse one because that was just so such massive like yeah. bringing to light something that no one had really thought about properly before or uh -huh. had not or couldn't see hadn't got the opportunity to see the truth behind until she did it so her books are really selling pretty well okay so are you ready for the third thing yeah, is, it, is it I mean is it as good as the one we've just heard about because it's, I feel like not. we've maybe peaked too early <laughs> I think you're right so at this point you're the world's most famous female journalist what are you gonna do I tell you what this is so off the wall what she does here in 1895 she moves to Chicago for a job offer at another big newspaper like fine but she only works there for six weeks because at the ripe age of 31, she meets and within two weeks marries a 73-year-old millionaire. What? 
<laughs> what, what attracted you to the millionaire? Uh... The aging, ill health. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. So, I mean, what you know what I love about this the most is that apparently when she met him, she's 31, but she claims she's 28. He's, it's like he's 73. Like... <laughs> He's not going to have a clue, darling, if you're 28, 38 or 48, baby. Um, That is brilliant. So I wonder if this guy fell in love with her and was like, look, sweetheart, um, you're amazing. I want to make sure that you're comfortable for the rest of your life. Marry me, we don't even have to sleep together. (laughs) I want to be able to sign everything over to you because you deserve it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, maybe they genuinely fell in love within those two weeks. I mean, fine. Um, but it he was a bit um, controlling, weirdly. Oh, so, no. yeah, so like one day early in their marriage, she goes off to cover a women's suffrage convention um, and she's going to interview this woman um, who's like famous in that world. But her husband, so her new surname is Seaman. So uh, S-E-A-M-A-N. So she's now Elizabeth Seaman, but she still goes by Nellie Bly. Um, uh-huh. But this this Seaman guy has her followed when she goes to this women's suffrage convention. I mean, ironic, right? I'm going to a women's suffrage convention and my husband is having me followed. Like, <laughs> come on. But she had the guy that he hires arrested. And then the best revenge of all time she publishes an article about being a good husband (laughs) (laughs) so funny how to be a good husband yeah exactly (laughs) do not have your wife followed (laughs) ah dear me so in 1896, she writes an article about why women should be able to fight in the Spanish-American War. And that was the last article that she writes for 20 years nearly at this point. So her husband, you may be surprised to hear, has failing health, right? So <laughs> so she quits journalism altogether and she replaces him as the corporate head of his company, which is how he of made his money. Of course she does. Good girl. I know, and it's called the Ironclad Manufacturing Company, and it makes steel containers like milk cans and boilers and stuff like that. Okay. And in 1904, so she's 40 at this point, she leads the company in producing a new kind of steel barrel, and it's this 55-gallon oil drum, the super famous. If you think picture a, a steel oil drum in America, it's this. Like, you know, there's just this sort of stereotypical oil drum um and and that you know picture the sort of thing that um homeless people stand around there's a fire coming out of it right yes yes i know i know what you mean yeah so she leads the company in producing this and it was really innovative in its design and it lasted for forever right and so she actually at this point starts to invent new designs herself and she starts to invent and she registers two patents one for a new kind of a milk can and one for a stacking uh, garbage can, apparently. (laughs) So good for you. So now she's an inventor as well. An inventor as well. (laughs) Now, at this time, 1905 this is, her husband dies after nine years of what we can only imagine was a delightfully happy marriage, right? Uh, mm, Yes. As long as they had separate bedrooms. (laughs) I mean, some people say it really was a happy marriage, and fair enough. I mean, let's be fair. People can fall in love at all sorts of different age gaps and you never know they might 52 years is a (laughs) substantial age gap it it is he's old enough to be her great-grandfather probably i mean i can see why 
I can see why he was in love with her. I'm not so sure. I guess she was in love with his money. Is that dreadful? Uh, anyway, so now he's died, right? And she owns this multi-million dollar company. And she is considered one of the leading female industrialists of her time. However, turns out she's really shit at this. Like this is this is not for her. So she doesn't follow the financial comings and goings in the firm. And she is obsessed with making sure that the factory workers have the best of benefits. She puts in a library and like a fitness gym oh, and healthcare her. and yeah. like she really cares about the work, but she's not really thinking about the money and no. whether this is impacting on their profit. She's not running it for profit, she's running it for well-being. Yes, which is just great and I love her, but mm -hmm. it slips under her notice that the factory manager is embezzling basically everything. And she doesn't notice and she goes completely bankrupt, bankrupt. before she realizes. In fact, oh, it, it's so bad that employees are actually suing her um, <laughs> for wages and all sorts of stuff. So she flees to Vienna, apparently. <laughs> yeah. I love the places that she, <laughs> she flees to. Mexico, yeah. Vienna. Uh, yeah. I wonder why she chose Vienna. I guess it's kind of a neutral, I mean, the, so it's 1913 and the First oh, World just War. Just before the First World War. Yeah. So there's some interesting kind of political stuff happening. And she, I think, wants to go and do some more reporting because that, she needs money. And she knows she can do this kind of investigative kind of um, journalism. So she goes over there. When World War One breaks out, she gets stuck in. She's one of the first foreigners to visit the war zone be between Serbia and Austria. And she gets arrested, actually, because they think she's a British spy. I mean, this is more like the Nelly that we know and remember, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but in 1919, 1919, she returns to New York. Um, 1919. 19. So just after the so war. So after the First World War. Okay. Yeah. She returns to New York where she successfully sues her mother and her brother. <laughs> what? I thought she had a good relationship with her mother. Me too. This came out of left field for me as well. Um, apparently they had her house and she sued them for the return of her house and what remained of the business that she'd inherited. Apparently she manages this somehow, um, but she goes back to writing and... But now she's writing for the New York Evening Journal and she's writing an advice col column, which I feel is a bit of a climb down from It is, but I bet if anyone to. can give good life advice, it's Nelly. That's true. She's certainly seen life at this point, hasn't she? I mean, geez. She really has. She's, she also, she's working to help place orphans into adoptive homes and aged mm. 57, she herself adopts a child. Good for you. So she, yeah, she never obviously got pregnant from the uh, dying millionaire. No. Okay. No, she didn't. Um, but this same year, in 1922, she dies of pneumonia. And that's the end of Nellie Bly. At how old? 57. 57, she dies of pneumonia. Yep. She's buried in the Bronx in New York. So, yeah, oh, bit of a bit of a roller coaster life there, I think. In 57 short years. She had an amazing life. Yeah, she did. Um, there was, so her, basically she's been written about in films loads of stuff, um, including a 1946 Broadway musical, a 1981 made-for-TV movie. Um, she was actually, and you'll enjoy this, she was the subject of two separate episodes of the Comedy Central series Drunk History. <laughs> 
I didn't know that. <laughs> I enjoy that series. It's good. You remember Drunk History, right? I think so. Yeah, you've seen Drunk History. We've watched it together, I'm sure. Yeah. You, oh, I can't believe you don't remember it. It's basically where comedians just get really, really drunk and then have to tell the story of something from history. Which um, is kind of what we're trying to do for our listeners. <laughs> yes, good point. Because <laughs> we do drink. The only the only issue is we're not we're not comedians. We're not funny. Um, That's true. But we. drink and we tell the history of somebody yeah yeah so not far off right and actually the second of these um is it this the first no i think it's the first episode that they do um so you've got this this drunk comedian telling the story and while they're telling the story and hiccuping a lot you've got um a sort of reconstruction with like british actors in the background or American actors, actually. They get all sorts of people to, to reconstruct what's going on. And in the first one, they've got uh, Nellie Bly portrayed by Laura Dern. You know Laura Dern. Oh, wow, yeah. As in Twin Peaks, Laura Dern. Yes, exactly. So that's really wow. cool. Wow. Yeah. Um, and you've, have you watched Broadwalk, uh, Boardwalk Empire as well? Yes, I have. Yeah, so in season five, episode seven, um, somebody reads aloud from Nellie's Around the World in 72 Days book. Um, oh, and apparently wow. that's the only book that this character owns. I mean, I haven't seen enough of it to know who this is, but the character called Gillian Darmody, Darmody, I don't know yep. who it is, mm-hmm. but she only owns one book and it's Nellie's Around the World in 72 Days. Yes, that's that cool. Book. Yeah. Uh, there was a 2015 feature film, apparently. Was it an American film? Yeah, I think so. It's got Kelly LeBrock, Caroline Barry, Christopher Lambert and Julie, Julia Chantry. And what's the film called? It's called 10 Days in a Madhouse and it focuses on that Blackwell's Island Ah, experience. Uh, You've also got a 2019 Lifetime television network film Escaping the Madhouse, the Nellie Bly story, starring Christina Ricci, apparently. 2019? Yeah. (laughs) Really, really recently. Yeah, but it was on Lifetime TV, which we don't really... The only time I watch Lifetime TV is to watch uh, Judge Judy. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, there was an amusement park named after her at one point. It was like around the world themed. Um, she she was actually pictured on a US postage stamp in 2002. So, you know, she is really famous uh, in America, especially. She is so famous. And probably every American from right to the north to the south has yeah. heard of her. Yeah. And in 2015, there was a Google search engine, Google Doodle. Google Doodle? Yeah, a Google doodle for her. That just sounded really weird for a minute. Maybe it's the wine kicking in. Um, and she was also... If we, if we have any American listeners, I'm sorry that these rather ignorant sounding Brits, uh, <laughs> you know, talking about her as though, oh, look at this person from history that we've just stumbled on. I know. Yeah. And you know what? The, the next episode is, is going to be even worse, I reckon. Uh, well, I say that the next one that we're going to release because <laughs> uh, the, the order that we're bringing these out is uh, quite bizarre um so yeah we've got a google doodle and have you ever watched american horror story at all mm, i'm not sure if i have it's that tv show with um it had a lady gaga in one episode it's like a horror kind of thing anyway there's um american horror story asylum uh is inspired by her experiences and she also was the subject of an episode of the west wing apparently Oh, really? Oh, I'd love to see that episode. Yeah, it, uh, I've got a note here about it. She was subject of season two, episode five. First Lady Abby Bartlett dedicated a memorial in Pennsylvania in honour of Nellie Bly and convinced the wow. president to mention her and other female historic figures on his weekly radio address. It's cool. 
I loved this story. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed learning about her. She was just interesting, you know. Um, and she cared about women, which is always a bonus. But uh -huh. for me, the main thing was just that she just had this roller coaster crazy life. And she just has these adventures that what woman, what girl growing up doesn't want, doesn't dream of a, just a crazy adventurous life going around the world and making, beating world records. And I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I'd like to think that most women do, but you also, you, even in our days from school, lots of people aspire to getting married which there's nothing wrong with but it's about oh finding a boyfriend or finding a husband and it's not necessarily she it's like men didn't even really feature in her life which is yeah. great she just kind yeah. of went off and had adventures and it wasn't about trying to find a suitable partner to rise up in society with or you know yes she found a millionaire when she was 31 <laughs> but that felt like a tiny blip in her life as though oh, yeah uh, I'm living, I'm living, I'm living. Oh, I'll just marry this guy here. Oh, but I'll carry on living and doing crazy things. Yeah, that is how it feels, isn't it? She was just an independent spirit through and through. And it, it's weird. The fact that she marries this guy at all feels strange. And I, I can't, yeah. I'd love to know what her motivations were. Did she actually fall in love with him weirdly in this bizarre two-week whirlwind romance? Or did she get greedy for the cash and the security? I, I don't know. Answers on a postcard. Please write in, guys. Tell us yeah, what you if think. If anyone knows the answer to this, please. <laughs> yes, please. I mean, we've got... Uh, yeah, we should totally shout out our uh, social media at this point. Please do write in. We've got our Facebook page, The Wife Who. We were on Instagram, the underscore wife underscore who. And on our website, you can write to us there. Um, actually, you can email us as well, uh, podcast at thewifewho.com. Um, and do check out our website for the blog as well, because I try, when I've done an episode, I try and write up the sources that I've used. And when you've done as well, we post those as well. So sources and generally thoughts about the episode as well, where we can. Um, the Hilda Matheson one, uh, we recently shared and put one up on there. So do get in touch with us. There's plenty of ways. Um, did I mention we've got a Facebook group? I would love for you to join our Facebook group. That's starting to grow a little bit. And let's tell people how our Facebook group differs to our Facebook page. Is it just that we, we try and invite more collaboration in there and discussion? Yeah. Exactly. So the Facebook page is more just to share info from us and like adverts, essentially, I guess, and let you know what's going on. But the Facebook group is where you can talk to us and we'll reply. You know, we want to hear from you, we want you to give us your thoughts on the episodes and, you know, suggestions. You know, we'd love to hear women that you've heard of that you think we probably haven't. That's a lot of women that we haven't heard of. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk to you. We'll reply to your comments and stuff. So please uh, hopefully we'll start to do things like polls and stuff on there um and just get a bit more you know we we, we want to know that you guys are listening it just it's so great when we hear we had a couple of suggestions recently for women and it's just so good we're definitely going to follow those up right you had a suggestion um mm -hmm. that i think you're going to do at some point so get in touch guys and tell us what you think right yep awesome and on that note I am just about at the end of a glass of wine. So I think it's time to say goodnight. Well, thank you for teaching me everything, nearly everything about Nellie Bly. I feel like I need to go and do some investigative journalism. To more. <laughs> Excellent. I look forward to uh, hearing more about that next episode. <laughs> All right. Good night, my love. Thank you for listening. Night, night, darling. Bye-bye.